Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd, I'm the Digital Media Editor here at Heart. Today I'm delighted to be joined by a repeat guest, Dr. Ramesh Nadaraja from the University of Leeds. Ramesh and I are co-authors on a paper in BMJ Open, which is called Aortic Stenosis Post-COVID-19, a Mathematical Model on Waiting Lists and Mortality. We have an interesting discussion all about how we might model the effects of switching patients from surgery to TAVI and also increasing capacity and how that might get us out of the enormous waiting list problem that we face, not just in the UK, but across the world. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Ramesh. Uh, Many thanks for joining me on the podcast as a second time guest. Uh, Perhaps you could introduce yourself for the audience and let people know who you are and where you work. Thank you very much, James. Uh, My name is Ramesh Nadaraja, and I'm a British Heart Foundation Clinical Research Fellow at the University of Leeds, working in Professor Gale's research group and a cardiology registrar at Leeds Teaching Hospitals. And it's a pleasure to be able to discuss this study on behalf of the authorship group with you today. And Ramesh, we are going to talk about a study which was published in a sister journal of heart, BMJ Open. And as the name suggests, this is open access and free to all. And the paper is relevant to the COVID-19 era. Uh, It's called Aortic Stenosis Post-COVID-19, a Mathematical Model on Waiting Lists and Mortality. And conflict of interest, I was actually a co-author on this paper, but you were uh, one of the leading authors, the the second author. And um, I really wanted to get you on to talk about the study because I think it is relevant still. It's titled Post-COVID, but uh, as I speak, we're going into yet another wave of COVID. So... I think the effect of this disease on um, cardiovascular waiting lists is going to be with us for some time. But let's start off by asking you about the motivation behind the study. How did this paper on uh, modeling waiting lists and COVID-19 come about? Yes, thank you, James. Well, as everyone who listens to the podcast will be aware, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant detrimental impact on cardiovascular services and the health of patients with cardiovascular disease. And that's been through the reorganisation of healthcare services, changes in healthcare seeking behaviour and the deferral or cancellation of diagnostic and interventional procedures. And of course, many of the conditions we manage uh, in cardiology, uh, which may be in the elective settings, such as valve disease and heart failure, have significant impacts on morbidity and mortality. Um, With this in mind, a virtual study group was convened by the Newton Gateway to Mathematics on behalf of the Virtual Forum for Knowledge Exchange in Mathematical Sciences, which brought together clinicians and mathematicians to explore if and how mathematical models could be used to provide insights and solutions to the problems we face in the post-COVID era, or as you say, the peri-COVID era, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in cardiovascular conditions. In this study group, we studied three areas, which was uh, first, the kind of general state of play across procedures and outpatient consultations, Second, the heart failure pathway. And third, the waiting lists for treatment of aortic stenosis. Out of this study group, an international collaboration across 18 investigators, both clinical and mathematical, has extended their work on aortic stenosis waiting lists. And the completion of this work is what we see in this study that was published in BMJ Open. And can you describe the the data for those who are, are not aware on aortic stenosis? management as it was kind of pre-pandemic, I guess, 2018, 2019, Um, and the two really, two management options that exist for patients who need intervention to the valve, and maybe put some sort of numbers on on those, on that data, so we can get an idea of the problem size. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, everyone's aware that aortic stenosis is the most common form of alveolar heart disease and that once stenosis is severe, symptoms follow and the prognosis is poor with approximately 50% mortality within two years of symptom onset. As you've already discussed, there are no medical therapies that influence the natural history of aortic stenosis and thus timely treatment with either surgical aortic valve replacement, which has historically been the uh, treatment of choice, or transcatheter aortic valve implantation, uh, which has, uh, I think, first been used in NHS in about 2007, are of paramount importance. We know over in recent years that the number of TAVI cases performed has been increasing, whilst the number of cases of surgical aortic valve replacement has, repl- has remained relatively stable. And I think as of 2018-2019, in the NHS, there were approximately 7,820 surgical aortic valve replacements completed and approximately 5,200 TAVI procedures. So I think we're talking about 13,000 or so interventions for aortic stenosis per year in the NHS. Uh, we know that the median waiting time for TAVI under normal circumstances is approximately 80 days. And previous studies have estimated the risk of death whilst waiting for intervention for severe aortic stenosis in routine practice is between 2 and 14%. When we went about this study, uh, we lent on work um, previously published from Professor Mamas's group using the UK TAVAR registry and the NICOR National Adult Cardiac Surgery data up until the end of November 2020, which showed that um, from the point of lockdown, so approximately March 2020 in the UK, through to November 2020, uh, there were significant declines in the activity in terms of SAVA and TAVI compared to historic norms. So there was about an 80% decline in surgical aortic valve replacements and an over 50% decline in uh, the number of TAVI procedures that were completed. And based on this, that paper estimated that there were about 4,989 cases of aortic stenosis left untreated during that period of the pandemic. So in the absence of contemporaneous data, this was our starting point. And using the starting point, we wanted to um, estimate how alterations in the capacity and the treatment modes offered for aortic stenosis could expedite the clearing of this excess backlog and minimise uh, the mortality associated with waiting for treatment. And we hope this could inform the planning of cardiovascular services. And what options did you model to clear the backlog? You, you talked about increasing capacity and also conversion from surgical aortic valve replacement to TAVI. Is that right? Yes, absolutely spot on, James. We, we looked first of all at what would be the impact of a general increase in the capacity for both SAVAR and TAVI procedures, That would be, for example, by providing extra procedures per list or doing more lists. And we also looked at what would be the effect of converting a proportion of cases treated with surgical aortic valve replacement to TAVI. Uh, And we know this is possible because during the pandemic, TAVI was performed for many patients who would normally have been treated with surgical aortic valve replacement. And finally, we looked at how a combination of both of these alterations could affect outcomes. And nobody, of course, is saying that any of these options uh, that we research would be easy to implement. I mean, it's not easy to to magic up new aortic valve surgeons or TAVI operators, but it may be that, you know, the list could be extended into the evening or cases could be done in a more efficacious way, I guess, is what we were looking for, wasn't it? And in terms of outcome modelling, what were you looking at? What was the sort of 
outcomes of measure you are looking at given your changes to either converting surgery to TAVI or increasing capacity? So the two outcomes we were particularly interested in was um, allowing for a backlog of, of approximately 5,000 cases. How would these alterations affect the time to clear these additional cases? And secondly, how would they affect the mortality of patients within the excess backlog whilst awaiting treatment? Okay. And um, what methods and assumptions did you use, Ramesh, when you were coming up with your model? Uh, well, of course, uh, this was a collaboration between both math- mathematicians and clinicians, and I would not in any way pretend to be an expert in mathematics. But uh, the patients on the waiting list for the treatment were represented as a dynamical system, which is a, a mathematical model, which has been used to describe events such as the swinging of a clock pendulum or the flow of water through a pipe. So it allows you to uh, model how, given you're in a current state, and there are certain variables that can impact on that, you can then infer what the future state would be. So of course, we have to make a number of assumptions to be able to model a complex situation. Um, Some of them were that we assumed that the incidence of aortic stenosis is not significantly changing, and that the number of new patients who would be added to the waiting list in the pre and post pandemic period not significantly changed. We also assumed that the capacity that the NHS was previously working at would be resumed and that it was dealing with the problem as it was, i.e. the system was in a steady state at the start of this period. Thus, the cases uh, that we are um, estimating to do by altered capacity is to try to clear the excess backlog. Um, And the backlog can only be reduced by either patients receiving treatment or dying whilst awaiting treatment. So we did not take into account that some of the patients uh, who were left untreated during the pandemic may have died during the pandemic, either from COVID-19 or other causes. We also assumed that mortality at one year after symptom onset with severe autistenosis was approximately 36%. And then we modelled the conversion of SAVAR to TAVI Um, by um, making a conversion based on the procedural time per procedure. So we estimated that surgical aortic valve replacement would take between two to four hours and that TAVI procedure would take on average between one to two hours, which gave us a conversion of about three TAVIs in the time of two SAVARs. Though we completed a number of sensitivity analyses where we tweaked this conversion. Of course, There are some limitations. We did this analysis on a national scale and we represented the number of cases that needed to be completed across NHS as a single entity, not at a centre-specific level, because of course we understand there will be variation at that level in technical expertise, populations and outcomes. And we did not include post-procedural factors such as hospital stay or intensive care stay, because again, we felt there would be centre-specific variation. And did you look at any cost implications of uh, doing any of the changes, let's say, from uh, surgery to TAVI? So we did not look specifically at that cost. We were looking more interested in, in terms of the pure uh, time to delay it to uh, clear the waiting list and okay. the mortality, the clinical outcomes from this. Thanks, Ramesh. Um, can you tell me what your headline results look like? So um, when we modelled each of the alterations, we found varying results, but all of them were relatively sobering with a 5% increase in the capacity for treatment of aortic stenosis, we found that it would take over three years, approximately 1,300 days, to clear the excess backlog with approximately 2,500 patients estimated to die whilst awaiting treatments. 
a 20% increase in capacity, you would still require over a year and a half to treat uh, or to clear the excess backlog, during which time one would estimate approximately 1,500 deaths whilst awaiting treatment. When we looked at the conversion of surgically aortic valve replacement cases to TAVI without increasing capacity, we found a more modest improvement. So even if you converted 50% of the cases currently done by surgically aortic valve replacement to TAVI, it would take almost two years to clear the backlog with 1,400 deaths whilst awaiting treatment. When we altered the conversion ratio in sensitivity analysis, we found that even if you were able to do twice as many TAVIs in the time you can do SAVARs, presuming, for example, increasing uptake of minimalist TAVI approaches without general anesthesia, which would allow for more rapid procedures, it would still take more than a year with almost 900 deaths whilst awaiting treatment. So those really are sobering results, aren't they? Of course, yeah. You know, I think working in isolation probably won't work. And actually, we require both to combine conversion of surgical aortic valve replacement to TAVI, as well as providing additional capacity to provide the best benefit. So, for example, if we converted 40% of cases treated normally with surgery to TAVI and increased capacity by about 20%, which admittedly might only require one or two additional procedures per week per centre, we estimated that would clear the backlog within one year, but there would still potentially be approximately 800 deaths whilst awaiting treatment. So as you say, sobering results and uh, an estimate that suggests there will be significant collateral damage for patients with aortic stenosis as a result of the pandemic. And just to emphasise, this is clearing the backlog, which is accrued as a result of COVID-19, isn't it? This isn't clearing the waiting list full stop, so nobody's waiting. Absolutely, absolutely. So we took in the model that the, the waiting list was in a steady state. So actually, we're purely modelling here, just trying to clear the excess COVID-19 related backlog. Yeah, got you. And so what were your conclusions, if anything, um, in addition to what you've already uh, discussed, Ramesh? Well, I guess this work highlights and quantifies in many ways the concerns of cardiologists and heart team members on the ground pertaining to the deferral of non-emergency treatment for aortic stenosis during the pandemic. We know we have a condition here that's associated with high morbidity and mortality, where only valve replacement makes a difference to prognosis. Uh, even though we've classically treated many cases of severe symptomatic aortic stenosis down elective pathways, we certainly know it's a high-risk condition. And in fact, many studies have suggested that amongst the cardiovascular procedures that were deferred during the pandemic, just patients that have been awaiting structural heart disease who have suffered the highest mortality rates. So I guess our conclusions are that on a local, regional and national scale, we in the healthcare services need to examine our capacity and prioritise to adequately treat the excess backlog of patients with aortic stenosis caused by the pandemic. Of course, all of us on the authorship group are cognizant that it's not easy to magic up, as you say, more doctors, more nurses, more time. And we know that the care of all cardiovascular conditions was detrimentally affected by the pandemic. And so it's not easy to prioritise um, the treatment of aortic stenosis in terms of treatment in, uh, in theatre or cath lab time. We believe this will require local collaboration at, um, across the country between cardiologists and heart team members and cardiac surgeons. 
accepting that we're working in imperfect times, difficult times, to try to prioritise as best we can to avoid excess mortality from the deferral of treatments during the COVID pandemic. And just to finish off, do you know how the landscape has changed since the study was performed and the paper was written in 2021? I know you said the data was based on uh, nationally available data from March 2020 to November 2020. Have you had a refresh of the data or are you aware of any new data that showed sort of what happened in 2021 and into 2022? I assume things haven't got better. Yeah, so I think um, by the end of the reporting period in the paper we based the initial assumptions on, uh, November 2020, there was actually evidence that the treatment of uh, aortic stenosis was returning to more historical norms in terms of the number of cases that could be um, That's could be completed. However, I don't think there was evidence that there was a significant increase in the level of activity to help bridge the gap that has been developed. Um, and certainly we are aware, of course, that now the peak of the, uh, of the first few pandemic waves have passed, there is a significant aim to try to resume elective activity. Of course, we know that over time, discussions have been happening at local and regional levels to try to uh, get patients treated in as effective a way and as quick a way as possible. But we've certainly seen from the data that across the spectrum, uh, TAVI, for example, is being used in lower risk cohorts than has been historically the case. And even though the NICE guidelines would suggest that TAVI is currently only approved for an operable or high risk case in the UK, and there have been publications in Heart and Open Heart discussing about how we should pragmatically deal with this situation. And I think it's worthwhile noting the most recent ESE guidelines in 2021 already highlighted that older patients, so patients who are 75 and above, who make up a significant proportion of uh, the patients with severe symptomatic stenosis, uh, are recommended, generally speaking, for TAVI. But of course, accepting that many patients do not fit the, uh, the inclusion criteria for the RCTs that uh, these guidelines have been based on. So of course, heart team uh, discussion is always important um, on every single case that's going through uh, aortic stenosis treatment pathways. But I think we are seeing a general trend now into very pragmatic decision-making on, on local and regional levels to try to get on top of the backlog. And we hope that this work can help further inform this work. And just as we wrap up, uh, Ramesh, is there anything else you'd like to share in terms of uh, this particular area of research? Well, as, as I said, we did model this as a national problem uh, to try to inform cardiac planning. We do want to also be able to help uh, local centres to help uh, best manage their local pathways and their local waiting lists. And in that effort, we have provided an app, which a link of which is available in the paper. And this is to help uh, local centres explore the impact of alterations in capacity and treatment modes on their waiting list and how that might affect the mortality on their waiting list. And we hope this could be helpful uh, for people going forward. Brilliant. I will put a link to the app, uh, which you just mentioned, uh, which is open to anybody to check out and to use and to do some modelling on their own uh, data. And as I said before, the paper is already open access in BMJ Open, so I'll put a link to the full paper. And uh, it just reminds me to thank you very much for your time, Ramesh. It's been great to chat to you about this work. It shows the, the power of collaboration between clinicians, data scientists, and mathematicians. No, thank you very much, James. Thank you very much for inviting me. And I'm, 
it was a pleasure to be able to discuss this study. And as you say, the work that we can um, do together, collaborating across uh, modality, across speciality and across expertise, I think has a huge role to play as we try to work our way out of the uh, COVID pandemic, get the best care for our patients. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, James. Thank you. Thank you.